Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. John chapter 5, verse 30. Um, Many of you, as has been the, because I know this, many, um, I've been praying a lot about this lately, many of you... um, are no doubt looking at our world around us and completely dumbfounded at just how godless our nation seems. Um, We're in a very hard time in our nation, very heated time, very contested time. They need to have a class in seminary on how to pastor during a political season, during an election cycle, Um, because there's a lot of just... um, stress that comes from it, of knowing that there's two different sides and they hate each other and they scream at each other and they want to kill each other, and, um, and knowing how to, how to love both sides during that. Um, but many of you look at our nation and, and realize just how godless it is, just how much people don't seem to love God in our nation. Many of you grew up in a day when public schools began with prayer. Here in the South, most of you have always lived in a culture where the church and the Bible are seen as important. Um, People may have had sins in their lives, but they didn't really announce it to the world like today. Um, From your perspective, it was a much more Christian time. I would agree you're right, but at the same time, I would also push back a little and say that the state of our nation right now didn't just appear overnight. It's been slowly brewing for decades. It just wasn't televised 30 years ago or 40 years ago or whenever. And outside of the South, outside of the Bible Belt, it it wasn't as Christian of a nation 40 years ago as as you think it is. Um, But I think it's clear that more and more, our nation does two things. Turns its back on the God of the Bible and descends into moral chaos. And that's always the trajectory of how it goes. You turn your back on the God of the Bible, you descend into moral chaos. We we see that in Romans 1, where it says clearly that um, when you worship the created things instead of the creator, you descend into moral chaos. You you, you end up in all forms of sin. Go back and read Romans 1, 18 through 32 later. It just explains the whole process. You start worshiping the created things instead of the creator, and you descend into madness every single time. As Jesus continues, last week we looked at him arguing with the Pharisees about whether or not he's from the Father. He's going to continue that conversation today. Um, he, he, He begins to turn it into something like a courtroom as he talks to them. He brings in witnesses to talk about his case. Um, And so John 5, 30, we're going to start in verse 30. These witnesses aren't anything fascinating. Like, it's not going to blow your mind what he guesses. You're probably going to be able to pick out what they are. Um, If you just had to guess what what things in the Bible attest to who Jesus is, you'd probably be able to pick out what he's going to say here. Because as Romans 1 says, the things about God are plain and simple. They're known. 
but people reject it. So let's look at these witnesses. John 5, verse 30. Remember, he's still in this conversation that we looked at last week. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very work that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my own Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you of the, to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There's four witnesses Jesus brings to the stand in this courtroom. You can find all of them. If you read through the passage, he'll say the word, bear witness. And there's, it's four times in there. He's referring to one of those witnesses. Um, Jesus says clearly in the beginning, I don't bear witness about myself alone. I don't do it. Jewish society had a very big emphasis on multiple witnesses. If you were going to get something tried in court, you needed multiple witnesses to say that the story was true. Deuteronomy 17 says evidence of two or three witnesses can bring a guilty charge against a person. So he's basically saying, hey, let me give you multiple witnesses for who I am. And these are witnesses we all need to hear today, our world needs to hear. So he gives those to us. The first one is verses 31 through 35. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist has borne witness to the truth, verse 33. John has borne witness to the truth. We've already seen John's testimony in the book of John. Um, he, you remember he said, I'm not the Christ. The Christ is coming, I'm not him. He saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him. He, he tells people around him, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove on him and, and rest there, and that's when I knew that he is the Son of God. John has been doing nothing but preaching about Jesus this whole book. They came out to the wilderness to listen to him because they were fascinated by him, but his preaching was rejected. They rejected his preaching. The reason we know that is that King Herod, we don't see it in John, we see it in the other Gospels. King Herod arrests John, keeps him in prison, and Herod's wife manipulates Herod into beheading John. John gets decapitated. 
Jesus said, if you need a witness to who I am, go, go look at him. You know, our world doesn't necessarily, you know, listen to the preaching of John the Baptist. There's not a podcast we can hear of, of, the, John, of John the Baptist sermons, but our world was way, has way more witnesses than just John the Baptist that they do. Our world has preachers everywhere bearing witness to Jesus. When pastors stand on Sunday morning and preach the word, uh, hopefully they're preaching who Jesus is. Like, if, if, if my sermons don't proclaim Jesus to you, I need another profession. I, I just do. When a man opens up the scripture and preaches it by the Holy Spirit, preaching Jesus to a congregation, he's bearing witness about Jesus to the world. You've got pastors every Sunday standing up. And then you have preachers of the past and present. You know, there's no shortage of preachers from the past and in the present who have borne witness to Jesus, just as John the Baptist did. Um, you can watch many of their sermons online. Probably all of them are preaching right now, Facebook Live, for the whole world to see. And then you have preachers from the past who are dead and gone. You can read their sermons. Uh, I recommend Charles Spurgeon, as you know, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Adrian Rogers, just so many people that you can look to and, and hear their sermons and hear how they have preached Jesus. And then you have missionaries. Missionaries all around the world today are bearing witness to Jesus. In most of the countries of the world, there's a missionary there, at least one. You know, m many of us feel like the U.S. is turning from God. You know, the crazy thing is that in South America and in Africa, um, that, that's, that's shifting. That they are coming to Christ like crazy there. So what the U.S. was maybe 100 years ago, that's what South America is becoming today through missionaries spreading the gospel there. It's incredible how many people are coming to Christ in those places. Missionaries are bearing witness to Christ all over the world. So you have pastors all around the world today. You have preachers from the past and present. You have missionaries. Finally, you have you. You. You are to bear witness to Jesus. You're responsible to bear witness to Christ wherever you go. Be that in the school system, be that in the factory that you work in, be that in the hospital or in your neighborhood or at the grocery store. You're to bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Are you doing that? So you have John the Baptist slash preachers. That's the first witness. The second one is verse 36. The testimony that I have is greater than John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, those works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The works Jesus does bear witness to him. In the context of John, we've already seen him do several works. We saw him turn water into wine. We saw him cleanse the temple. We saw him heal the Roman official's son, heal the lame man at the pool of Bethesda last week. We're going to see several more as we work through John. But even beyond that, we have 2,000 years of the works of Christ bearing witness to him. <clears throat> we have, you know, his miracles recorded in the Gospels, many others other than just the ones we're going to see in John. Um, we have his works today. You know, if I were to ask you how you know God is real, many of you would respond, well, he's done so much for me. He's done so many things in my life. And by that, you mean he got you through a tragedy. He got you through a hard time. Maybe you were sick and he didn't let you die. Maybe you had a bad car accident and you didn't get hurt by it. You will point to these and you will say, he's good for that. They're his works. 
Praise God for those things. That's wonderful, and we pray he continues to do even so many of those things in the life of our church. There's even a greater work than that that he's done. And it's the salvation of sinners. The greatest thing, if you know Jesus, the greatest thing God has ever done for you is not cure you of cancer, it's save you from your sins. That's the greatest thing he's done for you. Understand that if you get cured of cancer but you die in your sins, you go to hell. And that's tragic. When people ask you what God has done in your life, start answering first and foremost that he saved you from your sins. He forgave you of your sins, cleansed you of it, gave you a new heart, new desires, and put his spirit in you. That is miraculous and that is undeserved. You do not deserve that. And he did it for you. That God would save undeserving, wretched sinners of their sins bears witness to who Christ is. He's God's son, and God is good. And then finally, his resurrection from the dead. If there's one work that attests to who Jesus is, it's his resurrection. Nobody else has risen from the dead before. Nobody. Only him. It's the greatest work he's ever done. Christ died probably the most brutal death anyone's ever died. He was buried in a grave. And on Easter morning, he rose. He rose. Life entered his body again, and he stepped out of the grave. He was victorious over death, victorious over hell. He declared to the whole world through that, I am God's son. That's what Romans 1 said. He was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. No other God of any religion has ever risen from the dead. No other Savior has ever defeated death for you. That is the undeniable proof that he is who he said he is. But, you know, how about some more witnesses? Verses 37, 38, the third witness to the stand is God the Father, God himself. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. The Pharisees that are talking to him do not know God. If they did, they know his word. You know, they would know Psalm 2 where it says, where God literally says, I will tell of a decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your heritage and the end of the earth as your possessions. Like they should know that. They should know that verse, speaking of Jesus, he's going to inherit the nations, but they don't know it. God has been saying from the beginning he would send forth a son to rule the nations, but they did not listen. You know, today, plenty of Americans say they believe in God. I'm not talking about Allah or Vishnu or the flying spaghetti monster. I'm talking about God, the one we would identify with. We don't really have an atheistic nation. Recent data says only about 11% of Americans would blatantly say they do not believe in God. The rest do, even if they're not completely certain about it. But you have to ask yourself, which God do they believe in? Is it the Trinitarian God spoken of in Scripture that's revealed to us by Jesus Christ? Or is it a generic God? Generic God. That's my worry for our nation. Not that we're taking God out of everything, but that the the God the nation believes in is about as generic as great value toilet paper. 
it's just a generic God. As long as I've been alive, 28 years, our nation has worshipped not the God revealed in Scripture, they've worshipped a generic God. It's a God who they can't tell you much about. It's a God who would be associated with the Christian faith and not much else. I mean, he's not the Muslim God, he's the Christian God, but that's about all we know. It's a God that we're not amazed by. We're not amazed by it at all. It's a God who looks a lot more like an American citizen than a holy being beyond our comprehension. It's a God who isn't too concerned with your life. He just wants you to love each other and be happy. It's a God who mostly leaves you alone. We only really come to him when we have some kind of problem we need him to help us with. It's a God who always agrees with you. He never has anything negative to say about you. It's a God who just wants you to come to church and be a good person. And if you do that, you'll go to heaven when you die and spend eternity with your dead relatives. This, this week, a, a friend of mine from college reached out to me on Facebook. Um, she's from my hometown. We went to college together. Um, she's now helping with the BCM in my hometown's community college. And she wanted to know, she said, hey, all of the BCM stuff is online because of COVID. So I'm reaching out to pastors that I know to see if they'll do a 15-minute devotion on video, send it to me, and I'll post it to the BCM that week. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And she said, all right, well, our director of the BCM is really weird, and he says that these devotions can't be Baptist. They have to be just about faith and hope and love. And don't, don't say anything Baptist, because it needs to appeal to all people. And I'm like, well, aside from it being the Baptist campus ministry, um, I'm not just going to do some generic devotion about some ooey-gooey faith because that's only going to do more to paganize America than point them to Christ. If I can't explicitly say about anything about Jesus, I'm not doing it. And so I'll gladly do this devotion for you, I told her, and I'm not going to you know, tell people they need to be baptized by immersion. I don't think you have to worry about that. But if I can't talk about Jesus, what's the point in this? Can I just be blunt? If this generic God that isn't that isn't worth that much, if this generic God is the one America is taking out of everything, let's take him out of everything. Because that's not the God of Scripture. That is a God made in our own image and to our own liking. How about this? How about the Church of Jesus Christ in America devote our lives to knowing and making known the God revealed in Scripture through Jesus? Let us give our lives to bearing witness to that God, to the pagan Americans around us who are far more fascinated by football, food, Facebook, and Florida beaches than the God of the Bible. That they're far more fascinated by those things than the generic God they say they believe in. That's what will change the heart of America. The, the bearing witness of Christ, the God of the Bible. Not a generic God. Not a sentimental God. This is about making known and bearing witness that Christ is the, the God of Scripture. Fourth witness, verses 39 and 40. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says to these people, look, you study the Bible every single day. 
You dig through its pages. You can tell me all about every story in the Old Testament. You can tell me every law in Leviticus. You've got most of it memorized. You have given your life to getting to know the scriptures, yet you don't understand them at all because you don't realize they're all about me. They're all about the Son of God. What a tragedy to devote your entire life to studying this book, thinking it's going to give you eternal life, yet you can't even see Jesus in it, the one who it's all about. I mean, that's like watching every episode of the Andy Griffith show and getting to the end of it and saying, I never saw Andy Griffith in that show. That's like watching Everybody Loves Raymond every single episode and getting to the end and saying, so where was Raymond again? That, that, that's what these Pharisees are doing. They, they've read the entire Bible. They've devoted their life to studying it. They've never once seen God's Son in it, ever. Understand the scriptures are what reveal Jesus to us. Maybe that's why Americans don't know who God is. Maybe that's why American churchgoers don't know who God is. They've often left reading and understanding the Bible up to the preacher. They will speak very highly of the good book, but they should actually rename it to the dusty book because that's what it is for most of them. They've spent hours and hours a day watching TV and scrolling on their iPhones, but they've never picked up their Bible, and that's why they don't know it. That's why they don't know it. Read this book. Read it. You know, people will often speak very highly of the military. That They'll say, do you know the sacrifices that have been made for the freedom in our country? And I say, praise God for that. If you served in the military, thank you so much. Now let me ask you the question. Do you know the sacrifices that were made so that you could read this book in English? Do you know the sacrifices that were made so you could read this book? Let me just give you one. A man named William Tyndale. William Tyndale lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s. At that time, the Catholic Church ruled the land. The Bible was only in Latin, so the only people that could read it were the popes and the monks. You know, so they can make people pay for their forgiveness of sins because if they could just read, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, the church wouldn't get their money. Tyndale, on the other hand, wasn't satisfied with this. So he translated the Bible into English. He did the first English Bible translation ever before the King James Version, the Tyndale Bible. He says this quote, I love it so much, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than you do. William Tyndale said, hey, if God lets me do what I want to do, that, that farmer in Chula will be able to read the Bible better than the Catholic monk. Just, just give me time, and it'll happen. William Tyndale was arrested for this, was thrown in prison, stuck in there for a year. Then they killed him by strangling him and burned his corpse because he translated the Bible to English. Yet, we often take this book for granted. There's 20 copies of the Bible in our house, and we don't open a single one of them. A lot of Christians don't even bring one to church. This book bears witness to Jesus. You must read it. You must see who he is. You must worship him. You must grow in your love for him. Know him better and treasure him more. And that comes through diving into the Scriptures. So Jesus presents his four witnesses to the Pharisees. 
and they reject him. Why? Verse 41, 44 actually. How can you believe my words when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? They want glory from each other way more than they want glory for God. They like to receive glory from one another. They rejected John the Baptist. Preachers, as our world often does, saying that, that, that they mock them, they reject them. They rejected the signs that Jesus did, as our world often does. We can explain that by science, you know, saying it didn't happen. You know, they rejected God the Father, as our world often does. They rejected the scriptures, as our world often does. Jesus said to them, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. But you don't believe him. All because they would rather have glory for themselves. Just as Romans once said, they worship the creature rather than the creator, and in doing so, they descend to moral darkness and moral chaos. Listen, you were made to worship. Every person I'm looking at right now, you were made to worship. I don't mean, you know, you worship something. Everybody worships something. And I don't mean everybody comes to a building and sings hymns to something once a week. No, there's something in your life that you give your time to, that you give your energy to, that you give your affection to, that you stand in awe of, that you devote your life to. That's the thing you worship, whatever it is. For some people, that doesn't go beyond an iPhone. They'll give hours and hours and hours a day mindlessly scrolling on this thing. For some people, that doesn't go beyond a Hail Mary touchdown in football. It happens, and they'll jump around the living room dancing and cheering. For some people, that doesn't go beyond some elected official in in Washington, D.C., and because they line up with that person's platform, they can't at all think they would ever do anything wrong. For some people, that doesn't go beyond their own life. They worship themselves like these Pharisees did. I am the best thing since sliced bread, people. That's what some people think. All of those gods will fall on their face before Jesus and crumble. They will not last. Can't you see that? Why don't we worship Jesus instead of those created things? Why don't we spend hours of our day with Jesus instead of mindlessly scrolling on Facebook? Why don't we get up and dance around the living room and how good Jesus is like we do with a touchdown? Why can't we see the holiness of Jesus, how he never does anything wrong? This is why our nation is in chaos right now. Because they, they don't worship Christ. They worship something else, including many churchgoers. You know, some of, some of you have fam- some of us have family members or friends who are in moral chaos. They're living lives that we just see are destroying them, and we don't understand why. Why are they doing that? You know, you love them so much. You, you, you've known them your whole life. They're not bad people. You know, many of them went to church their whole life. And you'll say, they have a good heart. They just got messed up in something. And look, it's because they have a worship problem. They're they're not worshiping Christ, they're worshiping something else because moral chaos always comes from from worship chaos. You worship the creature instead of the creator, you descend into moral chaos every single time. Everybody worships something, and what you worship will determine how you live. So 
So I ask you, do you worship Christ? Not do you worship the generic God of America. May that God fall off his throne and Christ make him a footstool for his feet. Is, is Christ who your life is about? If I followed you around for a week, it'd be creepy, but if I followed you around for a week, saw everything you did, what, what would I come away saying that I know, I know what they worship? It's this. Friend, if you can go out that door and Christ be absent from your life until you come back next Sunday, you don't worship Christ. You, you seriously need to consider that. The witnesses have made their case. Preachers have made their case. The works that Jesus does has made his case. God the Father has and the Scripture have. They've said Jesus is who he says he is. Will you receive their word or not? Will you reject their word? If you receive it, will you go out and bear witness to it? Will you bear witness to it in this dark world that we live in? This world that's going to keep descending into darkness. It just is. We're to make disciples. That's the, what the call of the Scripture is. We're to go out and bear witness and make disciples. That's what changes the heart of the world, the heart of the nation, when people come to faith in Christ and are transformed. That, that, that's what causes it to happen. And only the Spirit of God, through the proclamation of the gospel by us, is going to change the hearts of America. Nothing else is. Do not put your hope in any worldly system. Put your hope in the gospel. And if you aren't saved, believe the gospel today. Call upon the name of Christ and be saved. I'll be here at the front. If you want to talk about any of that or, or anything that you need prayer for um, or a decision, um, let me pray for us, and then Caleb's going to come up. Father, I come to you, and we have overwhelming evidence that Christ is who he said he is. He is. He is who he said he is, and we will either receive him or reject him. Lord, hopefully we've all received him for salvation, but, but every day we will either receive him or reject him. We will worship the creature or the creator, and that will determine how we live. And so I pray for each person here, each person watching on Facebook Live at the moment, and Father, I pray that they will um, center their life on Christ and worship him. Not worship anything else that's going to um, be a lesser glory, but worship the one who, who created the stars, who keeps them burning, who causes the planets to rotate the earth, who causes every heartbeat that my body takes to beat. Father, help us to worship that Christ, for he's the only one worthy. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.